0: Welcome to Tzarek Ian, a podcast from Yeshivat Oraita. Listen in as two Rebbeim reflect with one another on current events and unpack central hashkafic questions that affect how they view the world. A forum for divergent perspectives informed by both study and lived experience, these conversations will illuminate a handful of the Shivim Panimah Torah and scratch the surface of ideas which may in fact require further exploration.
1: Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the Tzarek Iyun podcast brought to you by Yeshiva Oreita. My name is David Silverson. And today, I have the privilege of having on the podcast, my neighbor uh, lives not that far from me, Nofai alone, a Rebbe, Shana Bet Rebbe, in Yeshiva Shalavim, and one of the heads also of the NCSY Kola, Rebbe Yehuda Turetsky. Rebbe Yehuda, thank you so much for coming on the Iyun podcast.
0: Thank you so much. I've long been a uh, fan of the podcast. I'm honored to be participating.
1: Amazing. So the theme that we're talking about um, this month on the Tzarachim podcast is the theme of Gemara, which is obviously an appropriate theme because Aleph Elul, you know, is the time when the yeshivot begin. Um, You know, someone sent me a video of the famous Rosh Hashiva of Rav Mizrahi, of the Mir, right, opening up the Zman, pounding on his gender with his very pronounced Lithuanian yeshivish accent saying, Rebbeisai, Elul, right? And all of a sudden, you know, in the yeshiva lore, when you hear the word Elul, you think, Eimas Hadin, you think Yom Hadin, right? And, you know, Elul sort of signifies an entry into the Olam HaTorah. And I would think that, you know, if you were to describe sort of, you know, to somebody outside the yeshiva scene and say, well, wait a second, you know, we're starting yeshiva and, you know, a month from now is Rosh Hashanah, we want to prepare spiritually, religiously for Rosh Hashanah, for Yom Hadin, what should we focus on? So I would think that most people would say, well, you should focus on sort of sifrei Musr. You should focus on classical works of Chasidu, classical works of Parshmur al Torah, right? Discuss, you know, God's involvement in human history, God's involvement in our lives. And the hope would be is that would generate a more intense connection to Hashem, preparing us for Yom Hadin. But as both of us know, that's not exactly how yeshivot operate, right? Then when you go to yeshiva day one, so you open up morning seder and you're not talking about divine providence, you're not talking about theodicy, you're not talking about the end of days or about you know other features of olam haba, you're talking about is and agachat Tapara, or you're talking about the intricacies of Gemara. And I'm curious, before we get to sort of discussing why that is the case, maybe you could just sort of map out broadly for people, um, just how central Gemara is to the daily schedule of a yeshiva student. Meaning imagine, for example, it's a 12 hour day, Right. Let's say, from argument's sake, from eight, nine in the morning until nine at night. Obviously, we know it goes longer. But with the person with simplicity. Right. So how much of the day is focused on learning Gemara relative to other subjects?
0: Okay. Um, I think in general, there's definitely a range within yeshivas. But I think by and large, what one finds in the majority of places is two major chunks of the day dedicated towards learning Gemara, um, typically in the morning. Uh, between, I don't know, three to five hours or so dedicated toward learning Gemara Be'iya and learning Gemara in depth, um, analyzing various topics. Um, and in the afternoon or at night in different yeshivas, a lot of learning of, um, learning Gemara learn learning Gemara at a faster pace, trying to cover more ground and get more exposure to, uh, to, to to different Gemaras. Throughout the rest of the day in many yeshivas, so there are other sort of slots. There, there There's a short slot for practical halacha. There's a shorter slot for works of Jewish ethics and Jewish thought, Maser and Machshava. Um, You'll often find people at different times learning, you know, maybe Chomish or some Tanakh. Again, in some yeshivas, I think, probably not as frequently. Um, And then there's often in yeshivas this sort of like empty time period where it's sort of open for people to learn what they want. Um, Let's say in a place like Shalvim, that means night Seder. Um, And even in a place like that, what you'll often find is, I think, the majority of the of the guys in yeshivas generally will dedicate the majority of both their morning, afternoon, and night towards learning Gemara. They may review what they did during the day. It is most certainly the central focus of their daily schedule.
1: We're trying to quantify that, I meaning you're describing basically, let's say, again, you know, right, to, it's similar, although it's a slightly different uh, model in the afternoon. But we're talking about, for people who don't know the yeshiva Seder Hayyon, we're talking about at least three, maybe four hours in the morning. Are you talking about? two to three hours at night so we're talking in the range of six seven hours already then possibly another two hours in the afternoon right so we're talking about in theory you know in the range of nine maybe ten maybe eleven however many you know hours a day a person adds onto schedule, his, his normal schedule we're talking about a very significant part of the day right yeah Dedicated. i
0: think it would be very hard if you participated in the regular schedule to have in, in almost any yeshiva to have less than six seven hours a day of gemara
1: right like, exactly so just sort of moving um, from the mechanics of, of the yeshiva structure to the more sort of larger educational vision. So, you know, yeshiva are not universities, right? Our goal is not simply to convey knowledge, but we want to sort of, you know, imbue in our students a sense of Ava Hashem and Yura HaShem. We want people to sort of leave yeshiva change and evolves religiously, right? We want them to come out looking different, right? You imagine a student coming home for Pesach ben Manim and when his parents look at him and say, wow, your, your midos are just incredibly refined, that you sort of, you know, spend time in yeshiva and all of a sudden, you know, it sort of made you a better version of yourself, so to speak. So I assume that, you know, Shalvim's staff has staff meetings before those monsters starts and reflect on sort of what our goals are for the year, what our educational goals. So, you know, trying to sort of map out, you know, what are the educational goals of institutions? The assumption is, is that the way we actualize those goals, right? Is through the day in and day out of um, the educational sort of meat and potatoes, right? Of the day to day. So how would you say that the larger educational vision and goals of, let's say, a yeshiva, whether it's a yeshiva in general, whether it's shalvin, whatever it is, right? Sort of fit with this idea that we're going to generate more, you know, your shemayin, whatever it is, by having our students study at least six, seven hours of Gemara a day.
0: Yeah. Um, I like the question a lot. I've often been struck by that also. Um, I think the working assumption in the way at least that, that, that I would formulate it, and this is at least my, my own take on it, is uh, aside from a variety of sources that speak about the power, let's say of learning Torah Shabalpa, of learning the oral law, um, that in the end of the day, you know, there, there, there used to be a journal called Cloud Perspectives. So there was an article there published know, four or five years ago, maybe 10 years ago at this point. Um, which made the argument that aside from all the sources and aside from, you know, whatever one would find, be it in the the Gemara or in the Maharal or Tzadok or in in Rambam, whatever one would find about the importance of of Torah archival that in the end of the day, I think it works really well in terms of creating a particular kind of culture, a vibrant kind of feel within a base medrash, that a yeshiva and a base medrash, like you said before, it is trying to distinguish itself, I think, in certain ways, from the feel of a university library. And it's trying to have a presence where there's a real active sense of a uh, of a base madras which has a cultura, a loud sort of uh, feel, a certain kind of energy found in the room. And Gemara really works for that. The nature of the learning, the challenge in just making it through simple texts, the opportunity that so many of the texts are subject to debate, and, and I could read it this way, and you could read it that way, and that sort of kavrusa feel, coupled with, you know, there aren't that many subjects, at least in my experience, and maybe this is just me, although I don't think it is, that I could learn nine, 10 hours a day, aside from Gemara. Um, it has this unique ability, and we can talk about why in a little bit later, but I think it, it does, where it's, it's very rare to find yeshiva or to encounter people that are spending nine, 10 hours a day learning Tanakh or nine, 10 hours a day learning Jewish thought. People in university writing their dissertation so one, one can find things like that. But I think it's very common in yeshivas, it seems to create a particular kind of culture, which I think gives an energy to the entire yeshiva, and it creates an experience of something very authentic, of something very real, and it becomes very immersive, which I think creates sort of, again, this kind of context that facilitates and allows for further growth.
1: But sort of, you know, there's actually an interesting passage that uh, I found one time in the in the statement of Amital, where he makes a similar comment. He talks about how, like, you know, we can't really exactly figure out why it is the case, but somehow, you know, all the yeshivas that have tried to move away from a Gemara-centric model, right, just haven't worked, right? In other words, just kind of like practically looking at the yeshiva world, the yeshivas that survive and thrive are the yeshivas that have a heavy emphasis, right, on learning Gemara. And I think, you know, empirically, that's sort of undeniable. You know, but I I was sort of pushed back for a second and trying to reflect for a second on like the content itself. In other words, like you're right that the noise, you know, of hearing people discussed and the argumentation is powerful and really feeling like you're a partner in a conversation that goes back thousands of years. And even the Surah Sadaf, you know, it's like an amazing thing. It's like a walking map of Jewish history. Right. So there is a real power and excitement to the text. But, you know, in terms of like beyond just like the mechanics. Right. And the, the energy it creates what would you say about the content itself right because this i think is part of the mystery of gemara right and this is it's not like i don't know what gemara they're learning in Shalvim, right but for example i know in a writer we're learning sukkah and then we're transitioning to Kamma. so sukkah at least you know in elul has some practical dimension to it in theory right but it's not even like we learn gemara with the goal of trying to understand the bottom line practically Right, So in terms of the substance of the content, I mean, there are yeshivas that are more halakhala maisa oriented, but classical yeshivas right, aren't learning the Gemara with the goal of just trying to derive halachal maisa. So can you can reflect a little bit, maybe you can reflect a few minutes about the content itself. In other words, like when people are engaged in this dialogue, like the content somehow, and again, I agree with you, there's a mystery here, right? But the content somehow is doing something to people beyond just the arguing, right? Because you could have people arguing about, you know, how to solve a math problem right? But for some reason, there's something going on here, right, that is is generating, you know, some type of intense experience, and somehow that is doing something to people. Not all the time, but I think a lot of the time.
0: Yeah, so I think that there are a couple of ways to go with that. Um, I was speaking, you know, we just began El Osman here, so we're learning Baba Basra this year, which really has to do with neighbors that don't get along, and fights about, you know, whose land this belongs to. Those are not topics that I would have guessed would be the most exciting or would be transformative for those who learn it it's almost like um i said this to my share yesterday it's it's almost like learning about people at their worst is, is what we're spending this year sort of studying and seeing how to navigate that i happen to think a couple of things as far as the power of the content one is that you know the the first of abitrebi wrote i think in Likute torah and there are elements of this in other places also it, it, it's, it's a certain kind of rigor and attention to detail, whether it's about the practical, or it's about uh, you know the world of the Beit HaMikdash, or it's about you know even, again, neighbors that don't get along or damages. There's something about the sensitivity to detail and the rigor that's involved that irrespective of what the content is, I'll get back to content in a second, one feels like they are really part of that process. And there's a deeper appreciation for the depth which is present there and my role within it. You know, the fact that uh, that Taurus isn't written down is or at least is written down nowadays. But ideally, Taurus Bapet was supposed to remain, you know, oral is for many Jewish thinkers because it doesn't have an end and that it's constantly unfolding. And it's not just about discovering, but it's me playing an active role in furthering a certain understanding. And I think there's something very exciting about not being on the sidelines and not trying to figure out what somebody else thought, but playing a really active kind of a role. What's interesting about the content itself, at least the way that I would say it, is I think here we have different styles of thought and different styles of learning Gemara, some of which probably more directly use the content to give over particular ideas and some of which probably really, really don't. Um, you know, if, if I'm teaching Baba Batra, so I, I I want to explore, you know, what the Gemara tells us in a really nitty gritty focus on details about our ideal relationships with neighbors. And, and I think if we do that properly and right, so that content can impact the way we interact with neighbors. It gives us models and ideas. I don't mean this in the practical halakhic sense. I mean, this even as far as an orientation, my own rights versus the rights of those that are next to me. What are the expectations as far as what, what can they expect as far as privacy and independence while, while while being a neighbor? I think with most Gemaras done right, one can str- extract ideas that would be deep and that would be significant and that would really be able to address issues that are relevant to their own growth.
1: But that's actually a really interesting way of framing it. Um, you know, We're going to have on in the next um, segment of the Tzarkim podcast, Professor Chaim Seyman, and, and he he makes a point in his book, which is sort of similar to what you're saying. Um, he, he makes the point that basically, if you think about the content, right, of Gemara, right? So he, he makes a point that, you know, the early Christians were critical, right, of the whole enterprise of Torah Pe and Halacha, And they were basically claiming that, you know, why are Jews obsessing about all these nitty gritty details? Like in what way is this religiously meaningful? Let's focus on more grandiose visions of, of the Torah. And what, you know, Professor Damon points out is that, In a certain sense, the novelty, right, of Judaism is that we address these broader questions, right, through the lens, right, of the Talmudic sugya. It's not to say that every single sugya, right, is a sort of reflection on, you know, the different uh, dimensions of how neighbors interact, right? Obviously, when sometimes when you're really immersed in a sugya, it's tough to see sort of like the forest from the trees. But eventually, like the Ram, like what you're describing, the, the Ram was giving the sheer is sort of moving the conversation in a way, not all the time, but at least part of the time, in a way that makes people realize that there really are ideas here, right? And the unique way that Judaism conveys ideas is through the language, Right? of halachic detail. And even if it's not halakha even if it's not practical halacha, right, it is trying to create a conceptual framework through which we experience the world, the hope being that the content then actually changes us because we learn gemara with an eye towards trying to figure out, you know, what are sort of the ideas the sugi is trying to express. Um, You know, I know that you know you teach also and know you teach in Shalvim, and shalavim um has israeli students and american students i'm not sure how much teaching you do for the israelis but i think you do do some teaching for the israelis as well so i'm curious you know in terms of thinking about the role that gemara plays in the lives of students i mean there's so much to talk about here just you know sort of quickly i'm curious if, if you have a sense of whether or not american students versus israeli students again we're we're oversimplifying here because you're seeing a certain segment in Shalvim of the israelis and the americans but from your experience you know do American students versus Israeli students sort of see the Gemara differently, right? In other words, when they approach the text and they engage in questions, are the questions the same or are the questions totally different? And sort of what is the source of that difference?
0: So I definitely think that there are differences. Um, I say this not only because of the, let's say, the Americans or Israelis that I interact with more closely. I say this even just the literature, which is produced in different worlds, I think, you know, sort of highlights or expresses this, this difference, I think. Um, for Israelis, at least I don't say Datilu mi Israelis, they're, they're looking to the Gemara in many ways for what can it sort of, well, I guess Rav Shagar would have said it, and I think he's probably right about this. What, what does the Gemara tell me about my life? You know, what, 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 what can the Gemara teach me which is relevant? And, and the idea of relevance is something which I think is, is very important. Relevance can mean practical halakha, you know. Uh, Actualia, you know, the the world of interesting cases and interesting halacha and how that plays out. It it could be in a broader sense for those that are more intellectual, you know, what are the, the, they will enter a sugya. Like I said before, you know, if they're looking into uh, the sugyas of Shemitah, they're going to use that to learn a lot about the the Jewish approach to economy and and how that should impact, you know, capitalism and how it should impact their jobs. They're going in looking for the question of what does this take for me? What can I take out of this? How is this relevant? Um, at least I think, again, it's an oversimplification, but one will we'll find more of that in Datilu Umi Israel. Again, I have a nephew in Sarab, I think he would, you know, dispute that, you know, that formulation. And there are many, in Chalvin that would dispute that formulation. But I think in general, one finds more of that um, in Datilu in Umi Israel. Whereas with a lot of the Americans that we, you know, so halacha lemaisa can be a little bit more engaging, practical halakha, but but for a lot of them, I don't think they're really looking for that form of relevance. Um, sometimes it almost feels more uh, authentic if it's less relevant. It feels something is unique or special that I'm instead of make, bringing Torah to me. I guess the way Rav Shagarb said it, I'm bringing myself to Torah, and I'm entering a world that doesn't shed light as directly on my life, and that experience in and of itself is is remarkable. You know, that experience in and of itself is is very, very powerful. So There's like a, this pull towards the lack of that which is practical, which I think as a whole has even manifested itself in Datilumi, you know, yeshivas as far as a certain emphasis on what mesech does they're learning, you know, as far as looking for that which is more directly relevant um, as opposed to classical yeshiva learning.
1: Yeah, I remember one, one summer I, I had a charuta with a uh... Shai Sekunda, who lives in Modin, he's a professor of Talmud. So we learned in Shalvin for the summer. And I remember at that point, the Americans had left. So the Beit Midrash gets smaller in the summer because the American section is closed off. So a lot of these, Isra- some of the Americans, I guess the guys coming back to Shana Bed had left their svarim. So it was amazing to see the different swarm on the Makomos of the Israelis versus the Americans, you know, and the Americans, again, this is just my experience. I'm not sure it's necessarily the case every time, but, you know, the, the Americans had a Gemara, a Rambam, and like a Kovetz, Yesodos, the Hakiras, right? They had the classic sort of lambdus that you'd expect to see in a traditional yeshiva, and the Israelis, you know, had a Gemara, and then they had some books of Rav Chaim Navon, and maybe like a P'nei Halacha, and, you know, books that were very different in terms of the genre, right, than sort of the classical, you know, Lumdus books. I, I have a, a an interesting hunch, and this is Speculative, but I I've been thinking about this a lot. I'm curious what, what you think about this. Um, I th- I think a lot of the pull of Gemara, um, a lot of times, particularly for American kids, again, the Israelis is sort of coming from a different place. Um, I, I think there's something about the experience of Gemara which really sort of ties into a sense of Jewish pride and a sense of Jewish particularism. You know, the rub has this one line. Again, you can debate how much he meant here as hyperbole. But I think the point is still powerful where he says that like, you know, philosophy and theology, those were sort of, you know, they came into Judaism, we dialogue with them, but it was always in a certain sense, like, you know, conversations coming from the outside. And we were sort of all of a sudden dialoguing as outsiders and then sort of becoming insiders through the medium of outsiders. You know, for example, you know, the Rambam encounters Greek philosophy and he he becomes a great thinker. But the Rav says that, you know, the only really pristine sort of authentically Jewish, right, uh, genre, right, is halacha. And he says that basically halacha was sort of untouched. In other words, it evolved in its own space. And again, I'm, I'm not interested so much in the question of like whether he's right historically, but as a statement of like how he understands Gemara. So I, I think that like what's going on a lot of times is that, you know, for guys coming to yeshiva, you know, they're coming and they're learning something, which is that feels to them like really authentically jewish in fact i read an article recently by joel uh, finkelman about the tsura sadaf published an article recently in tradition about like how did the tsura sadaf become the Tzur sadaf and i remember when i was younger that when they published the steinzals and roshach you know they so upset about how could you how could you change the Tzur sadaf and you know uh, dr finkelman points out that the Tzur sadaf may have had its origins outside of like the jewish sphere but the amazing thing about it, and this is an interesting question of divine providence, right? That it over everybody else left it behind, and we kept, right? That even though it may have started from the outside, it has become so essential to who we are. And he speculates in the article why that is, that think about what's going on there. You're talking about, you have Rabbeinu Hanan, and you have Rashi, and you have the Tosfo, and you have, you know, Ein Mishpat Nermit. So you have hundreds of years spanning different geographic regions that all of a sudden, you know, Gemara, The more you engage in it, the more you feel a sense of Jewish pride, of Jewish particularism. You know, the the way it was articulated to me by somebody else, it's like almost even more extreme that if you try to sort of talk about Gemara to people outside the yeshiva, there's like nothing to talk about. You know, like, what are you going to talk about? I remember remember one time I was talking to a friend of mine when I came back from the yeshiva in Israel, uh, and he wasn't wasn't observant. He said, you know, tell me the most interesting thing you learned about Pesach, that's home for Pesach, and I wanted to talk about whether Haseva is an independent dimension of the dialogue Kosoad, or whether it is, you know, fundamentally part and parcel, you know, and he's like, well, what planet are you living on, you know, so I, I'm curious in terms of your own experience, like, there's a part of me feels that, like, this is the encounter, so to speak, for many guys, this feeling that, like, I'm encountering something which is so intentionally, intent, intention, um, intently particularistic. And that generates pride, excitement, and that generates a lot of the energy that we're sort of describing. You know, if you learned, if you learned Rambam more in the you could talk about that with somebody at a university, you know, Gemara really is an internal conversation.
0: So I, I happen to think that's true. I would almost go one step further than that. I think it's not only, you know, Jewish in that way, but the majority of texts that one learns when they're learning Gemara are really not accessible, even to that many people outside of a yeshiva, like the right. seba, you know, reference that you made before there's enormous pride in, I'm part of a club, and right. I'm part of a club which is examining, you know, the deepest, you know, one would say, um, and definitely would be experienced this way, you know, the deepest areas of Torah, which other people can't. And even if there's, you know, an art school for for Gemara, like I'm part of the club sometimes that doesn't use that.
1: Right. And
0: there's no art school for a Ramban. And there's right. no art school for, a, for a, you know, a Birka Shmuel. And sometimes there's this like experience of, I'm really, really part of something unique. What I think is interesting is whether or not one views that as, you know, sort of playing into some personality deficiencies and an inability to sort of experience self-worth other than by feeling like I'm in and you're out. Right. Or, and I suspect that it's, it, it's not that, there's something very powerful about feeling like, not that you're part of a club, you know, you, might, you might have mentioned Yoel Finkelman before. So he wrote one of the most intriguing articles about the year in Israel. Um,
1: virtual Volusian, right?
0: Virtual Volusian.
1: Yeah. A masterpiece. Yeah. It's,
0: it's unbelievable. And I think yeah. there's something very, you know, powerful about when I'm sitting there and I'm sitting there over a rashpa, I feel like I'm part of a, of a different world. I don't mean a different world in terms of a rejection of the world I come from. What I mean, a different world is that I'm entering this place that they had in Volusian and I'm part of this. And a lot of people aren't part of this. And this is something which is unique and special. And it's unique and special for I think for many people. Again, there are those who struggle a lot with learning Gemara and yeshiva, but it's a unique and special place that I am able to access that reflects upon many of the deepest parts of Torah. I learned the Nefesh Achayim, and I saw that this is Torah Lishma is to understand Torah on its own sake as deep as possible. Or again, oversimplification. But but there's something very I think powerful about the uniqueness of it, which Chazal speak about. You know, the Gemara doesn't get in Gideon, that the real bris, the real covenant God made with Jewish people is about the oral law. You know, there's right. something inside, you know, about that. It's
1: it's so interesting. You know, that Gemara is quoted a lot, like in context, people talking about the centrality of Torah Shabal and learning Gemara. You know, I, I was listening to another podcast they were talking to a high school educator about this exact question about, you know, why is Gemara so central? And he also quoted that Gemara that, you know, the ikar crisis Bris, right, the fundamental bond between us and God, right, is a Torah Shabal right, is sort of the halacha, is the Gemara. You know, and again, it's a powerful Gemara, right? But it does sort of raise the question of why. In other words, why is it that, you know, it's easier said than done, so to speak. In other words, what is it about the Torah Shabbat right? That that gives us a sense that we are in a covenantal community. Um, You know, it could be something as simple that like, you know, know, non-Jews have access to Tanakh, right? It's sort of like part of that conversation. You know, whereas there's something very internally sort of unique. It's not coincidental that, you know, All these sectarian groups throughout Jewish history have always tried to dethrone the Talmud, right? I I read a book by David Flato, it's called like the Talmud uh, Autobiography. And it's amazing, he has like this one section where he sort of shows how like, you know, from, you know, the time of the rabbis until today, right? All these sectarian groups, when they're trying to sort of, you know, take down traditional Judaism, the first thing they want to do is take down the Talmud. It's almost like they have a sense right, that, you know, the unique covenant between God and Jewish people is through the Talmud, and if we could dethrone the Talmud, right, then somehow we can dethrone the Jews, right? And, and I'm curious, you know, if you could sort of maybe just speak for a few minutes, you know, you talked a lot about the power of the base medrash and about the idea that, you know, learning actually generates avenues for people to understand the world of ideas in a very unique way through the intricacies of halachic detail. Um, I'm curious, you know, how this transitions and translates to the yeshiva graduate. You know, like when you think about a Shalvim Malam, you think about somebody who's learning YU for a few years, or you think about somebody who goes to Columbia, or you think about somebody who's, you know, working as a lawyer, you think about somebody who's in the army, you know? So, you know, how does, I assume that you still hope and, you know, sort of educate in a way that you want your guys to continue to learn Gemara, right? And I'm curious if you could just sort of reflect for a few minutes about like, why is Gemara so central? For the non yeshiva student, I, I assume, unless you're like some type of like extraordinary genius, that when you're in, you know, some army unit on, you know, they say that Rav Rayma Cohen learned like, you know, Gemara B'Yun while he was on, you know, uh, you know, border border control in Lebanon. Okay, but let's say you're not Rav Rayma Cohen. Let's say you're just a regular Jew, right? So, w- w- why is it Gemara become so central for somebody beyond? right, their yeshiva years. Look at the Daf Yomi phenomenon. I mean, it's like an unbelievable thing, right? So you don't have like, you have Nach Yomi, you have Mishni Yomi, but you have Rambam Yomi. But Gemara Yomi is like its own energy, right? So what is it about the Daf Yomi or about the post-yeshiva encounter, right, that we as educators are pushing so hard, right, to, uh, you know, to have our guys learn Gemara? I remember, you know, one time during Kayetzman, people were, one of my students asked me, what's the best way to prepare for yeshiva, life after yeshiva? And I said, just learn more Gemara. He looked at me like, how is that in any way going to prepare me for life life after yeshiva? And I I looked at him, like, what do you mean? Like, this is is exactly what the best way to prepare. But in terms of your own experience, you know, how how would you say that your relationship to Gemara as a Rebbe changes when the student leaves yeshiva?
0: Okay, uh, it's a great question. I happen to think for a lot of people who leave yeshiva, um, their relationship to Gemara definitely shifts. Um, If we're talking about learning, you know, minimum six, seven hours a day of Gemara or maximum, you know, way beyond that. So for most people, the kind of rigor that they can sort of have in their own learning when they're in yeshiva is, is you know, almost impossible post-yeshiva. Even if they're part of a program, that's not it's, it's an amid a week, and they're learning, you know, however they're learning, there isn't the same amount of time and, and, and the same kind of rigor, which is very understandable, you know, for the average person who has, who's managing work, life, etc., Um, The fact that we continue to sort of, as a community, I think, or as as an Orthodox community broadly, uh, to encourage that kind of Lima Gemara. So that we still encourage it, and that it works, I think, is clear. I would love to see some research on the Dafyomi phenomenon and and why people think it took off, you know, much more, and and what about it is so exciting that has been impossible to replicate. It it goes back to that, like, mysterious magic of the Talmud. Um, But I think part of it, in the way that at least I look at it, is you know there, there's a certain some of the Chassidim suggest and, and I thought about to say a lot in House of Yeshiva but post also some of the Chassidim suggest that as opposed to let's say Torah Shavah the written law which has the Klaf is the safer Torah you know, we have it recorded there that when a person learns Torah al so this is elements of this in the Sfasa MS. now there's like the person becomes that Klaf you know it, it becomes like a Luach Libecha becomes something which is you know you become part of the story um, in that kind of a, in that kind of a way. I don't think that learning post yeshiva, even though the details of what it looks like and how it looks is different, I'm not convinced it's profoundly different from the same reasons of what, of what takes place you know, during yeshiva. It's the insider. It's the club. It's that I'm part of something which is very, very powerful. And sometimes for many people, as they're working or they're in university or they're a minimum integrated much more in the outside world, that home of this is where I'm, I'm it's me, it's my team, it's my group. And I'm engaging in something which is so deep and so rigorous, that in itself, I think, is tremendously meaningful, tremendously meaningful. And again, the encounter of ideas that are relevant is definitely part of it. But I think more than that, it's, it, it goes back to, the, you know, I'm playing an active role. It's active learning much more than passive. It demands a certain kind of rigor. And I'm doing it in a way which is uh, where I'm able to experience, I think, I'm part of something bigger and part of something greater. And it and it brings me back somewhere and it and it connects me to to history and it and has me think about, you know, future.
1: I also feel like on some level, you know, Gamara is like, you know, the best text for you know the A D D generation in a certain sense, right? Because like it's not systematic in terms of the topics you you study, right? So it's like you know, you're learning a Gemara, and all of a sudden, you get to some like strange agadita or right? You get to some like weird line to Tosvo, and like it leads you to some other Gemara elsewhere. And you know, I think that's part of the appeal of like why it brings people back every day. You know, I'm also again I, this this is an amazing conversation because I think we're both sort of picking up on the same theme, which is like there's like this mysterious magic to the text. And we're trying to figure out what it is, and it's not easy to figure out. And like I tell guys every year, I say, guys, I know they'll say to me, What if I learn Ramban Yomi uh, you know, after Yeshiva, if I'm not going to YU? And I'll say, like, well, oh, that'd be amazing if you learn, like, you know, Schnee Miker with Ramban. But I can't describe why it is, but like there's something about the pull of the Gamar every day that brings you back. And I think part of it is that like there is this sort of mysterious element, like, what are you going to encounter the next day? You know, it's like you just never know. Like what's coming in a especially if you haven't seen it before, you know, you get weirdo kimtas, you know, you get, you know, you get like, you know, you get like, you know, manuscript, you get gears issues in Rashi, like you just, you never know where it's going. And I feel like on some level, for you know, maybe it's just coincidental, but for like a generation that's like, you know, always looking for the new thing, you know, in some way, Gumar. In fact, someone just sent me an article yesterday that just came out by Leo Labovitz about like in in Sapir magazine, where he's trying to explain the profundity of the Talmud to people who are aren't familiar with it. And like I was thinking about it, I'm like, wow, Kamara's, you know, getting in and it's cool. And there is an element that like, wait a second, what am I going to sort of encounter, you know, when I learn it? I'm curious if we could transition just for a few minutes to talk a little bit about learning itself. Um, You teach Sean Abet. I teach Sean Alf. There are different experiences as Rebeam. I'm curious, you know, you have taught Sean Alf, so I know you know what it's like. So I'm curious, you know, in terms of dealing with the question of developing the passion for learning um, when students' skills aren't necessarily that strong. You know, like people can look, listen to this dialogue between the two of us and say, wow, this sounds awesome. Like, you know, I want to learn Gemara and I'll be connected to the a Masora and I'll learn about these cool ideas. And then all of a sudden, you know, even if they have an art school, you know, when you give them a toast vote, they're toast, you know? So, you know, how how, how is it that we sort of maintain this excitement about the process, about uh, the Masora, you know, when sometimes people coming into the experience just are struggling with every single word, right? They need to translate. And it, these are very intelligent people. If you give them a physics problem, they could probably solve it on a very high level. But when it comes to the toast vote, it's like pulling teeth.
0: Yeah, definitely. Uh, again, I, I primarily have always been with Shanabet, although also there. You know, there, there's obviously a range of people and their skills. And I work in the summer with you know with tenth graders and eleventh graders. Also very intelligent and struggle a lot. There's something interesting because I think you know part of this conversation is speaking about the power of Tamara. There are There are definitely people who don't connect to that even though they've invested significant time in it. and I'm sure there are people there who are listening and thinking like the text that they're talking about is not the text that I've ever learned because the one I've learned is nowhere near as exciting you know and and I haven't felt that that, that, that sort of magic. Um, for those who struggle a lot with you know basic skills, it really is hard because you know, I always relate to it. Yourself, H. X. spoke a lot about, you know, El Kim being man's creative capacity and the role of creativity in the context of, of Torah learning. And for me, the highlights of learning is when I feel like I, I mean, I don't want to use the word conquered. I think that's probably an overstatement. Where where you feel like it all clicks, it all came together. You are able to understand things and suddenly what looked like it was unclear now suddenly makes a lot of sense. Um, and I think for people that aren't yet at that level, it is really hard. It's really hard. And many of them struggle you know, enormously. And I think then we talk about two things. Sometimes there's a question of patience, like many skills or many endeavors. It, it gets challenging at the beginning. And it requires learning a new set of skills until one masters it. Um, but I think more than that, there is this ability to still taste its beauty, even lacking the skills. You know, I, was in, uh, I got turned on to learning in ninth grade. I was in TBC. Rabbi Yosef Adler was my Rebbe. Rabbi Adler is a, what they, an unbelievable teacher of Torah. I, I don't think I could read Gemara at all on my own, but he was sharing with us insights, you know, salvation shir, that's what he was giving us shir on. So I think there can be an understanding of the beauty. It was, it was unbelievable. There are questions and then developing principles and, and, and being able to answer it and bringing it, making it all connect. And there's the ability to understand its beauty and connect to it, maybe not in my own learning in the morning, but definitely in terms of an appreciation, sometimes in a sheer context or in a context where I'm not forced to generate it on my own. Additionally, I think there is something very powerful, each person at their own level, when you're sitting down and you actually do figure it out. Um, maybe I haven't figured it out, maybe for me, it's figuring out this line of the Gemara, this line of Rashi. It's not figuring out, like, how would the Balamor respond to that question, you know, of the Ramban? But but still, there's something that act of being, you know, at least with high school for sure, of being a detective, of discovering things, of being able to understand. That process is, is very powerful, but, but for many who aren't yet there, it's, it, it's challenging. But I think that's why a lot of yeshivas sort of structure things, you know, to give out word sheets, to give out, you know, um, to give a sheer in advance of their learning, to help make it easier so they can taste it. But there are those who struggle a lot with it.
1: In terms of the style of learning Gamar, I think that if I remember correctly, you're a student of Rabbi Rosenzweig from YU. Yeah. Um, so obviously, he's very much connected to the Brisker school of learning, as you know, articulated by Rabbi Lichtenstein, R. Salvechik, and sort of that that genre, that school of thought. Um, there, there was a well-known debate between Rev Shagar. Right. We uh, Gershon Shalom Rosenberg, who's not that well known as far as I know in the U.S. Well, actually, there was a book published by Magid a few years ago um, that sort of introduced people to his thought. But I think people get confused sometimes. and think about him only as like a postmodernist thinker, which, you know, it's true that he did deal with postmodernism. But he actually was also Rosh Hashiva, who had developed his own chidushim in in learning. And he actually has a book called Limud Gemara Kabaka which is a really interesting book trying to sort of reframe uh, the experience of learning. And there is a big debate between him and Rav Lichtenstein uh, about methodology. And um, maybe we could spend some time talking about that debate because I, I think in many ways um, th- this debate sort of um, has a lot of implications for how we think about educating, how we think about experiencing uh, Gemara. You mentioned before that uh R. Shigar had this idea that somehow the Gemara is intended to sort of become relevant to me, not necessarily relevant in terms of you know, uh, practical halacha, although obviously that's an element of relevance, but relevance in terms of my existential identity, in terms of like my own religious growth, and somehow learning the Gemara, right, should be a medium for me to address issues that I have on, on, on my mind. Um, you know, and I understand the appeal of that. I, I, I'm just curious what you think about it. I'll just tell you just one quick thought. Um, I feel like if you read Rev Shagar's like insights into Gemara, right, it's not like he reads one line of a Mishnah or of a Gemara and then gives a Drush. In other words, he's somebody who's deeply immersed in Toseftas, midrash halachas, right, and Lamdas, and classical achronim. So I feel like a lot of times when people talk about Gemara relevance, right, using Rashi Gar as the model, um, you know, their 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 motives are great. You know, they want to engage students, they want to make the text more relevant. But I struggle personally sometimes with feeling like you know we also don't want to force the issue in a way to you know say the text says something that it doesn't actually say, you know, if you're somebody who has mastered Torah on the level of Rosh Hagar, so maybe, you know, at that point you can sort of think about, you know, how to sort of, you know, extract the existential messaging of the text. But I personally struggle with like, you know, beyond Ravaron's critique, just like practically, like there's no way I could even do what he did. And certainly my students can't do it, right? So I struggle sometimes with like, how relevant is this message, you know, beyond, you know, the ivory tower of the yeshiva.
0: Okay, so it happens to be, I, uh... I remember when, when they published that Rif book in English, uh, being somewhat frustrated, because I thought it was the wrong... I would have preferred if they translated his book on Gemara into English. I, I think that um, would have been very intriguing. And I think there's a lot... He I think he contributes a lot to the discussion in general um, about learning Gemara. Um, I've definitely spent some time going through Rif Shigar's Gemara Shirim. Um, and I very much agree with what you say about... The gap between thinking that relevance is reading a line of Gemara and saying how does this make me feel, Um, and what Rav Shigar is doing, you know, he, he's 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 quoting the same sources you'd find in any cheer plus additional sources. I mean, he's quoting the same Rambam's, rivids and Rishchayim's. He's just also, you know, speaking in, in in very broad terms about different kinds of opinions in Chazal and in the broader world. Um, I happen I, to I think his writings are are fascinating. And like you, I share the feeling of it being largely, or at least to do a quality job, um, hard to replicate. I think a lot of what Ruf Shigar did is so intriguing. It's very difficult to make your way through, you know, even just to read his writings and see what he's doing, to go through his shiurim and shmita. You know, I, I don't know. I, I feel like I am, at minimum, I think I'm better in learning than the people I teach, you know, and I have a, I have a hard time making my way through his, his shiurim and shmita and his shiurim. It, it's very challenging. Um, and I think it's a challenge. I, I do believe, though, and, and here's where I would say is maybe a modified Rav Shigar, which I think does make a lot of sense. There are many mesechtas, and there are many topics where it's, it's almost, it's much easier to do it, and it becomes much more important to to bring it on some level to that piece of relevance, not because I'm learning only towards relevance. If I were, I would learn certain topics, not other topics, but there are topics. You know, Rav Shigar, the example I think he often brought is the beginning of Masachas Kiddushin, talking about how a man acquires a woman, you know, to affect a marriage. And Rav Shigar talking about how, like, in the world of yeshiva, you speak about the nature of Kenyan Kesef, you know, the Taz and the Sma and what's going on there. And for the average guy in yeshiva is thinking, like, at least in many yeshivas, like, I bought my wife? Like, do I own her? Like, what's that like? Um, and I think that's where, like Rav Shigar, through learning the sugyas properly, one does encounter ideas about what does it mean that there's a Kenyan there? What kind of an acquisition is that? You know, Rosenzweig, mentioned before, Rosenzweig is not a, uh, I would not put him in the same camp as Riff Chigar at all on, uh, on, on these issues. I, 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 I think, you know, he's expressed real reservations about part of it. But when we learned Kiddushin, he definitely spoke a little bit about defining what that Kenyan's really like in a way that was relevant. And he definitely spoke about the marriage, you know, the entire ceremony, the Shavar Brachos, the Kedushin, the Nisuin, Chuppah, in ways that did express the nature of the Kedusha, the holiness taking place that did impact the way that I relate to my marriage. So I don't know if, um, or if Shigar does, I think is incredibly challenging. He does it more systematically in lots of locations, but I think there are particular topics where it becomes important to be willing to address it. And often, A proper learning of the Sugya, not just through the lens of relevance, but a really sheds light and the ideas are there to to make it relevant in ways that I think are very smooth and very simple.
1: It's actually really fascinating because, um, again, I never studied through Rosenzweig, but I did listen to a a lecture one time about the evolution of brisk, like in that genre, sort of like from own to uh Rev Rosenzweig right. to Ramos Lichtenstein whoever sort of the next person in line is again by uh Professor Chaim Seyman and and he he tried he tried to make that point that all of a sudden there is this like if you compare for example like brisk of let's say Haredi brisk you know let's say you go to mm-hmm. brisk or Shalayan right and like listen to what's going on there versus what's going on with Rosenzweig sheer or like Moshe Lichtenstein's sheer, right so there is more again it's not Rav Shagar by any means right but there is more of an openness to trying to figure out how the legal mechanisms, right, are expressing something, right, beyond just the legality, right? So, again, I, someone sent me recently, I think the new Rosh Hashiva and Punevich, and someone sent me, like, the Marvin Comos for his first year at Claleigh, right? So, like, you know, I didn't look at it in depth, but, like, it was it was a classic year. In other words, like, it, it had this sense, and Rosh Hagar talks about this, that he thinks that, like, in the Haredi world, it, it makes sense that Gamara is sort of, like, in a certain sense, divorced from issues of relevance, because the whole model of like charedi hashkafa is to be divorced from what's going on, right, in the mainstream. So, like your Gemara learning parallels your own ideology. Your own ideology is about being separate, right? You ha- the Gemara is about being separate, seichel shil Torah, a sense that something different is going on. Whereas, like for like religious Zionists, again, centrist Orthodox, obviously, these are different groups, but within the same sort of orbit you know, their ideology is not necessarily about being separate all the time. They're part of something bigger. So when they engage Sugya, sometimes they want to sort of try and figure out what the sugiah, you know, is doing in terms of dealing with the questions that they're, they're dealing with in the context of, of their life.
0: So I, I would actually say it a little bit differently. With Shigar's point about linking Hashkafa and, and Derech Halimud, I've always found to be very intriguing. Um, what I think is interesting is that I think of Salvechik and the YU world really sort of, have rejected that by and large. There is the openness of Salvatric had as far as philosophy goes. And you as a whole has a university you know next to it, but its base medrash is, is really fairly traditional. And they, I think, have sort of made the argument that the Talmud Torah is gonna be, again, I think Dr. Belkin may have had a different approach to it, but I think by and large, what sort of carried today is that the learning taking place there is really um, more of a classic, sort of classical yeshiva learning, And I think they've actually been very successful in that, Um, Hmm. for some of the reasons that we mentioned earlier. What's interesting is that I would suspect, although I don't know, you know, I always tell my students here in yeshiva, the word brisk has very little meaning nowadays, given the fact that if you would walk into, you know, or you'd walk into Gush, one would not see the same yeshiva or see the same style of learning. And it's like, is that a brisker kind of a question? The answer is like, I don't even know what, what branch of brisk we're talking about, but like, I'm sure one of them. You know, there's, there's something I think, although again, there obviously are some core underlying similarities that, that do make them all part of the same uh, kind of world. But I think, you know, that I, I think at minimum there are Lichtenstein and his Talmidim, I think they would say they learn the Sugya as the Sugya it happens to be that it sheds light on certain things or a way of saying it, which is a little bit different. You know, it's like I give a shear, a morning shear, and I give a shear on Monday nights on contemporary topics. My morning shear would, looks more traditional, but on a Monday night shear, you know, so then I would talk about, you know, extracting some of these ideas of, uh, of relevance. Whereas Link for for Shigar, that became the central focus of the Gemara itself, you know, even in the morning. That was the real goal of it. And to find and isolate those topics became more critical.
1: Right. Although even what you mentioned at the beginning, though, when you mentioned, for example, the question of Baba Batra, right? So you talked about the issue of like relationship of neighbors, right? And you gave the example that you would hope that learning the sugyas of Baba Batra, right, would give insight to people in terms of how they interact with people like, you know, impinging on their property, et cetera. Right. So even that yeah. sort of framing, I have a hard time imagining. guilty well, of like...
0: a bit of a cigar influence. Exactly. No, but again, <laughs>
1: it's like, I, I do think, that, again, my, 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 um, Knowledge of the world of brisk and ever learned in Gush and ever learned of the Rosenzweig, but my sense is that if you listen, like even for example, Rambamusha Lichstein has an article like "What Has Brisk Brought Us" or something like that yeah. in tradition. So that's already writing something, right? Which is different than you would hear from the brisk Rav. I mean, there's just no way the Brisker Rav writes that article aside from the English, right? In other yeah. words, it's yeah. like you know, it's just it's a different way of thinking about things. um and Maybe we could sort of like uh, just sort of close out uh, talking a little bit about. Revaron Lichtenstein and about his sort of, he has this famous article. Again, I don't know if it's famous, but it's a well-known article, you know, why learn Gemara? It's actually an amazing thing. You know, I started working on some stuff of my own about why we should learn Gemara and trying to conceptualize and write a little bit about why Gemara is so central in my own research. It's really amazing how little is out there on the topic. You know, you have Rav Shagar. You have of Liechtenstein. If you just Google, like, why learn Gemara, if you write in Hebrew, Lama Lomod Gemara, stuff like that, you look on Rambi, Rambi. you do the whole sort of, like, you know, orbit of, you know, a- a search engines that, you know, you don't need a university library for. It- it's really just remarkable. I mean, you find one article in Sohar, you find a few things, some, you know, some uh, high school Rosh yeshiva or high school rebbe, but it's just amazing that there's just so little discussion about why learn Gemara, and this is despite the fact that we all want our students to learn Gemara, want to love Gemara, want to spend six or seven hours, eight hours, nine hours, 10 hours of learning Gemara. So Rev Lichtenstein writes this article called, you know, Why learn, Gemara? Why learn Gemara? And obviously he has a totally different conception than Rav Shagar. I mean, I think he thinks Rav Shagar is like off the mark, to put it mildly, you know? I think, uh, so, uh, yes. You know, so how do you sort of like frame Rev Lichtenstein as sort of, you know, a, um, a thinker trying to articulate, you know, why Gemara, you know, is so central. I, I remember like when I read the article, you know, it, it, you feel the tension because he'll talk, for example, about how like you feel when you learn Gemara, that you're part of Masora, and you're part of thousands of years of dialogue, you go back and forth from the second century to the 10th century and then to the 20th century. And he says, well, you know, you, you get kind of a similar vibe when you're learning the base Yosef, but it's not the same. You know, and it's like, well, why is it not the same? In other words, the basic Yosef is also a text that brings you back. You know, so like again, I'm, I'm oversimplifying because it's a long essay. But if you had to frame it, thinking about like for Lichtenstein or I'll say for Rosenzweig, you're a student of R. Rosenzweig. You know, like what what is the appeal of of Gemara? You know, what what is the centrality of you know the Derech Halimut of brisk and like wh- what is the ultimate goal that makes like this sense that Gemara is the sort of vehicle for for covenantal bonding, right, with God, right, accessible through uh, Brisker Torah.
0: So what I think is interesting, and, and I, I had that feeling, I remember years ago, reading of Lichemzi's article, um, again, admittedly, I'm not the closest reader in the world of Raren, but the, the, the feeling almost of, I think he's struggling because he feels such a strong connection to Gemara and articulating it in very clear terms is is challenging. You know, there's something difficult about being able to say it. I find the question to be very different depending on who's asking it. Um, I have a very hard time, I think, articulating it well to someone that hasn't yet approached and learned Gamara seriously, um, as opposed to one that sort of has bought into a certain kind of system. I don't like that at all. I prefer if the answer is good enough that I think I could sort of equally have the conversation with someone who could and you know who has more exposure and one with less exposure. But I think that, you know. The way that many would say it, definitely the world of Brisk, which is much more halachic-centric um, than anything else, very little time in Jewish philosophy or anything you know along those lines, is the belief that the closest I could come to the Rabboni Sha'ola, the most knowledge I could have of him come through serious Gemara study, that it is the most rigorous and intense encounter with the divine above and beyond you know, anything else. And the sensitivity to all the details, the sensitivity to, you know, almost letting Torah Shepal speak and being able to listen very closely and to master what is sort of, for lack of a better way of saying it, what is God's take on this issue? And and that, you know, the the halakha has this primacy partially because philosophy is is out there. Halakha is mechaif me. It demands something of me. And understanding, you know, what are the things in the end of the day that God, you know, values that, you know, again, I'm speaking, you know, could be awful, that, 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 that is able to sort of be there with this kind of encounter, which I can only experience through real rigor of the world of halacha, to understand it in a very pure way, in a very serious way. I, I think that that's part of what it is, meaning the description of the experience is because I'm entering this incredibly, incredibly deep place. I'm entering this place where I'm analyzing, understanding sugyas, you know, which is God's take on issues, and it's the closest I can get to God, especially in a world that doesn't believe that it's going to take place through a kumsitz, and it doesn't believe that. You know, I'm always intrigued by the question of the role of like Kabbalah. You know, and like it doesn't, it, it's not taken through you know Kabbalistic writings or through classic spirituality. This is the way that I encounter the divine. It's the purest way. It's God's wisdom. You know, it's Orisa v'israel Chadhu. It's it, it, there's a certain interconnection. That when I learn, I'm encountering the divine, which I think is is most powerful. I'm knowing what God wants. It's like the, the example I often give my students is, you know, when I was dating my wife, I remember I like to ask people questions. It's, it's odd being on a podcast and, you know, having people ask you questions. Remember that sometimes, like, I had so many questions to my wife, she would joke with me, you know, at some point in the date, like, your question quota for the evening is now up. You know, like, we've we, we've done this and now it's time to have a regular conversation. Because when you're falling in love with someone, I want to know what they think about everything. I want to know what they, what their take is on everything. And Lima Gemara with his particular kind of focus, I think is the purest way to know this is God's take on things. This is the way that God views the world.
1: It's, you know, when I think about your description, you know, maybe that's where we could just close with this. I and mean, there's just so much to talk about, um, you know, like, it's it's really interesting because, you know, you think about like, you know, there's this passage, I think in the Balatanya, right? That like when you learn a Sugya, somehow like your your mind almost like becomes one with the concept, right? That somehow like you're almost like sort of channeling your will and aligning it with God's will. And in that moment, you're sort of having this, you know, religious experience where all of a sudden you're sort of seeing the world, right? From God's perspective. Although again, it's like, you could argue that, well, yeah, but maybe I also want to ask questions of of God, like, how much are you involved in my life? You know, is the Baal Shem Tov right? Is the Rambam right? Or maybe you want to ask God questions like, you know, what's the deal with Scharva Onesh? You know, like, is it linear, right? How does it work? Why is it that sometimes the world doesn't look the way it looks, right? So it's like, again, I I agree with everything you're saying. I, I just think that, like, part of the challenge is sometimes, like, you know, when we, we're so in it, you know, that like sometimes that like when we think to ourselves, like you, you hear this language, you know, you hear like in, in the world of brisk or in the world of, let's say, halachic man, you know, the sense that somehow like, you know, when you're engaging with the halacha, you're engaging with a priori constructs. And by engaging with a priori constructs, you're engaging with the world as it really is, again, powerful stuff, right? But you can imagine how someone could say, okay, great. But like, I I, I need to spend some time of the day, you know, dealing with, some of the questions aren't addressed. Maybe just sort of as, a, as a closer, um, I'm always fascinated by the role of agadita in terms of how it functions in yeshivot. Um, I struggle with this personally. You know, I, I teach in oraita, and one of the Shivas is like blau, or to say for agadita. Um, I'm trained in the space. I'm not proud of it, but where we skip the agadata? so uh, he always makes, gives me a hard time whenever I skip the agadata. And I, I, again, I don't like to skip the agadata. You know, I think that they got, there's a reason why Ravina Ravashi structured the Gemara in a way that inter, you know, laces halacha and agadata. I'm curious from your own experience as a teacher. You know, I have my own theories as to sort of like why it is that you know Agadah is hard uh, to teach and hard to to, to access for people but i think it's undeniable that agada doesn't get nearly as much press as as halacha. i mean in the rishonim for sure i mean like you have these gemaras where like you have seven-headed monsters and you know chasing people and then tosefot will say well you know why he could dav mincha why didn't it dav mincha then you know they'll focus on the halachic aspect of the agadic section so i'm curious just you know in terms of your own learning your own teaching like how do you relate to the egotic parts? Do you see it as like, oh my God, now I can finally have my students engage in the broader questions in a way that actually isn't a Gemara. You're like, listen, like, it's hard to understand what's going on here sometimes. My students don't have the capacity to understand Maharals and all the marshals and stuff. So I'll sort of move to a safer territory.
0: Yeah, um, I definitely, again, just to go back, I definitely believe that there's a, an imp- there's importance to having a degree of balance. You know, those questions of of God's role in this world, I think are critically important to talk about. You know, if, if we've only spoken before Rosh Hashanah about how many, you know, how to blow the shofar properly, and we've had no conversation at all about, you know, the larger meaning or themes of Rosh Hashanah, I think we probably did lose out on something. I happen to not skip the Agadita. Uh When I give she'er, I give she'er on the agadata also. Um, I try very hard to make sure that, you know, we cover things. But admittedly, and I think I, I you know, I'm not trained as well in it. Like the quality of the sheer is not that good. I do it because I think it's valuable. I do it because I think there are important ideas that can be expressed. But like in a regular halakhic section of Gemara, there's more action going on. Partially because there are more people that wrote about it. But gotta, you know, I feel like I'm just like looking for like two or three nice ideas to share before we move on, you know, to something else and not learning Agadita properly. Right, Blau's book is fantastic because he's learning Agadita, you know, in a very meaningful way. Um, but I try not to skip it. I, I try to, you know, I, I I try to learn it. Um, but with my students, for sure, when they're learning Gemara and the Agatha comes up, I think it's true in a lot of yeshivas, you know, whatever your cheat safer is, if it's an art scroll or it's a Masifta or it's a Steinz, whatever it is, you know, Agatha comes up and suddenly like, let's just move. And then the next two we are gonna go really quickly. Despite, you know, it's uh there's a lot of depth there. But I think it's really hard. It's an interesting thing when we speak about the power of Gemara. We don't mean the power of Gemara. We mean the power of the halachic sections of Gemara. You know, we mean the power of those areas that are, and not even all the halakhic sections, the ones where there's, you know, a certain kind of depth and things like that. Um, so again, I try to cover it. I try to extract ideas. There's some good sfarim out there. Um, you know, with Moshe Tzuriel, who just passed away, a uh, year or two ago, it was actually Mashkiach and Chalvim years ago, had a safer, uh, I think a four-volume safer on Agadita, you know, giving you different people that spoke about the us, but it's a, it's a real struggle. It's a real struggle to make it come alive. Um, you know, that's why I think it's even intriguing. Some of the people that learn to learn it, you know, for halakhic reasons. Like, what are the halakhas I can learn from this Agada? You know, to bring it back to like a comfort zone, um, I think is often there.
1: Yeah. I mean, um, you know, for example, like, I think that I feel the same way sometimes about the parts of gemar that just have like a lot of drushes you know i feel like the stories in a certain sense like you know you feel like okay there, there's movement you know there's a certain sense of like okay i can the story exciting i can find you know a rishon or some acharon that deal with it and there's what to work with when you get to like real like drushes you know like how are drush is structured you know and you know yeah it's hard because like it's it, it, again at least six weeks myself i'm just not trained to understand like the mechanics of drushas, you know, like how it works, you know, why it's this way, and not that way, you know? So it's like, you, know, you get these dopam, which are drusha, gabi drusha, gabi drusha. And you're like, you know, you're like, okay, I can get, I can, you know, I can get through it, you know, but you don't have the sense of the excitement you get when you get to like a sugity, It's like okay, I'm going to sort of tackle something that I really feel like is going to, you know, provide what I'm looking for. You
0: know? Yeah. I mean, I think with a lot of people, it's interesting, like an uh, in agatha, which seems a little bit, you know, um, Less, I guess, or hard to understand Kibshuto. I think a lot of students are like okay with that. Oh yeah, it's an I got it then, they move on. Right. Drashas, I find a lot of people that really piques their interest. Like totally. Where did it go from the pasuk to the halacha? So it happens to be Rutenswag has actually written, I think, a good deal about this, and and in his shiurim has spoken about this. You know, the relationship between Tuto Shal Mikra and a Drasha Chazal. Professor uh, David Hensky, I think years ago wrote an article, two articles in uh, in Hamayan about this. You know, but even like the significant, I remember I was, one of my first semester in the Rosenzweig's year, and there was a drasha it was an emeno inyen na teneyu lazet Like a right. superfluous pasuk, and if it's not relevant to its original context, we'll put it somewhere else. Right. And I remember he spent time talking about, you know, why that would have been. Why would hazal you know, why would the Torah have presented it that way? And I think for drashas, I think it's a great opportunity to expose people sometimes, again, not all can you can do this with the same way, sometimes right. it's impossible, but to expose them to the depth of Gemara and the link between Torah Shvapah and Torah Birsa, and to be able to enlighten and to sort of highlight the, the real beauty of Gemara sometimes comes up when they see those kinds of interactions. But uh, yeah, when there's a Gemara with like a lot, a lot of Psukim, it's like, let's yeah, just go. Exactly. Or,
1: or, or you get addressed sometimes that, like, you know, you're, you're learning Kiddushian, and, you know, you, you get to, like, B'neichem, V'lo Tech, you know, and, like, everyone, oh, what's going on here? And you're, like, you're trying to explain, like, why why, why, why is it inclusive? In some, and, again, there's there's what to say. It's not that this is arbitrary. In other words, like, Chazal do have a system. In fact, I know somebody who's a Rebbe in, uh, he was a Rebbe in the uh, Yeshiv in Petach tikva who wrote his doctorate on, uh, the methodology of drushas. And, uh, I used to call him sometimes and I would t- learn and be like, can, you explain this to me so I could sort of, you know, convey the messaging. So, uh, this is an amazing dialogue. And I really appreciate you coming on the podcast. Just one last question. Um, if people want to learn more of your Torah, get access to, uh, more of your shurims, so I know you have a lot of shurim on why Torah are other places that they, your shurim are accessible.
0: That's a primary place. Um, I guess I have students with like a Google Drive of different shiurim, but I think the primary place is probably Yutor.
1: Y- and on Yutor, you have shiurim not only in Gemara. I've listened to your shiurim also on yeah. machshab.
0: Prime happens to be I, don't, I happen to not upload my daily Gemara share
1: um,
0: uh-huh. at all. To because uh, again the give and take, yeah, mostly a, a, a lot of Machshava um, and some Machshava about why we learn Gemara. I think was an yeah, it. Yeah, the is I, I
1: listened to I listened to all those shiurim that you gave. it. Yeah, have also one on Hasidud, I think I listened to also a Hasidic know. approach to why learning Gemara so yeah, yeah those, those are excellent Shireen amazing okay well thank you so much for coming on the podcast I really appreciate it and um, this is a great dialogue and again if somebody wants to see how you practice uh, learning Gemara they have to come shine to Shalavin
0: <laughs> I guess so thank you very much it's really amazing. a pleasure right. and honor to speak
1: Thanks so much for joining us today. If you enjoyed listening to this episode of Tzarek Iyun, please share with others. Also, might appreciate being part of this conversation. If you haven't yet, please rate, review, and of course, don't hesitate to be in touch with any questions, comments, and topic suggestions at Podcast at gmail.com. This is Tzarek Iyun, a podcast of Yeshivat Oraita.